1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we continue our team previews, and tonight, we get to talk about your favorites.
0: The Virginia Cavaliers. Justin Verber, CavsCorner.com on the Rivals Network, is back on the podcast joining us. Justin, what's going on, man? Good. Getting ready to talk some basketball,
2: right? Yeah, here we go. No, no. We need to. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, I'm excited
2: to uh, get into football, so glad to be here.
1: I kid you not, I was at a party Saturday night and somebody was asking about the podcast I was doing. It's like, oh, it's about ACC football. And they're like, oh, what's it called? It's like basketball conference. And I got like the weirdest looks of just, mm. huh? It's like, Yeah, I know. Come on, guys. It's irony. I'm used to it. <laughs> I'm used to it by now. Uh, <laughs> Justin, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to talk. Uh, some Virginia football tonight. It's, it's it's a program that at this point in time I think is a lot more interesting than it was probably seven, eight years ago, uh, if even that. You know, Bronco Mendenhall, what he's done with this program has been pretty impressive. Uh, we actually had a couple of listener questions, and I, I wanted to start out with those, and I'm going to start them at the same time because interestingly enough, the way that they're phrased is kind of going against each other. So I, I'm curious to hear your take on all this. So first of all, from our friend Banana Slug, he says, you know, the case for UVA to getting to eight-plus wins is returning quarterback behind an O-line with 100-plus starts returning, much-improved running game with Mac Collins back, uh, Jelani Woods transfers in, wide receivers always produce under Hagens, Wicks, Kemp, Henry, and Davis if he's back in November is potent, Noah Taylor and Nick Jackson, two of the best linebackers in the ACC, uh, Alonzo, Famui, Carter, entire defensive line returns, fully expects at least seven wins, but eight to nine is possible if Brandon Armstrong stays healthy. On the other hand... We had our friend Wahoo Analytics reach out and said, I'd like to hear answered why they think there is such high expectations for this upcoming season from the fan base. Obviously, it depends on who I follow, but most of the people on Twitter are throwing out 8 to 10 wins as a given, which just doesn't make sense to me. I think we could get there feasibly, but with how abysmal the secondary was last season, reaching 8 wins seems ambitious – Maybe I'm just being pessimistic here, but I don't see how we can go from being fifth worst in the country and passing yards allowed to middle of the pack, even with a couple of transfers we added. So, Justin, with all that being said, optimism—you know—on an eight to nine win level, is it warranted for this program this year, or are you ready to pump the brakes on that? Um, I think it's
2: possible, um, just because you know you mentioned uh, whoever that was. Um, sorry, I forgot the name. Um, that that named all the positives. I mean, I think that there's a lot there, and I think it starts at quarterback just because um, that was one of the things that UVA really struggled with for the years that they just were under 500 a lot. And just every year would be a different quarterback, and every year that quarterback would have some deficiencies that would just keep them from being able to reach the postseason and beyond. Um, I think Brennan's pretty good. Uh, I think, obviously, if you look at last season, so you know, the first game of the year against Duke, he was okay. Played pretty well in a loss at Clemson. And then in the third game of the year, he got knocked out for the next two. So, you know, he missed the game against wake. They lost that game that he got hurt in against NC state and then lost to wake. Then he comes back and and plays okay against Miami. um, And then really turned it on in the second half of the season. So if he can carry that into next season, um, I I think that that bodes well for their chances. And and, um, the offensive line was mentioned there as well. I mean, he, he rushed, he was a leading rusher on the team. Armstrong, the quarterback run stuff was really creative and well-used. Um, he's not as dynamic probably as Bryce Perkins, but I mean, he was probably just as efficient, you know, running the ball and could pick his spots and, and could do well in short yardage. And then obviously they have a couple other options to like sort of Swiss army knife type quarterback players that can come in and run the ball. Like Keaton Thompson. Thompson um, offensive line at the running game itself. I think, I'm a little bit more wait and see on just because like running backs haven't really produced a whole lot under this offense. Um, you know, when Perkins was the quarterback, he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the ground and, you know, like Wayne Talapapa has been the starter. He's, he's fine. Um, but he not exactly like a dynamic player that's going to, you know, go off on a defense. Um, Holland's, you know, he opted out last season. So I'm excited to see what he can do this year at running back. Wide receivers obviously took a little bit of a hit with Davis going out, but they do have some talent there. And then on defense, I mean, that's where the real questions are. And then that kind of takes you to the second, you know, question you had. Like the past defense was atrocious. Um, I, I was telling you guys before we recorded. I was I was looking at it this week, just going back over last season's games and tons of big plays. Um, you know, a lot of those plays were given up to very good players like Deami Brown from North Carolina and Clemson's receivers and zay flowers from boston college um and you know obviously those guys are going to beat you but they also allowed 500 something yards to boston college's backup quarterback um and, and so it wasn't it certainly wasn't like an aberration here and there and i think the secondary needs to improve but also in that like the pass rush was a real staple of bronco's defenses for the first few years and and last year it sort of took a step back um you know, like I, I looked at, it, I think in their five losses, they only had 10 sacks total, which is like not the way that they need to be playing to give the secondary a chance. Um, so they need to improve there too. I think there's reason for optimism. I mean, they bring a lot of key players back on both sides of the ball. The schedule is a little difficult, um, with three, I guess, B, if you want to count BYU and Notre Dame as power five teams, it'd be three power five teams in the, uh, non-conference schedule because they have Illinois as well. Um, I think they're you know they're really good at home recently, so I think that helps. But I'd say eight or nine would probably be the ceiling for me. I don't really see them getting to ten. I think that's really ambitious. Wildly analytics probably just needs to follow some more pessimists on Twitter, um, <laughs> because like honestly, I haven't had a lot of those conversations where people are like expecting them to be excellent. I think everybody sort of thinks that Miami and North Carolina are at the top of the division in the pecking order, and then there's like that middle class with like Tech, UVA, Pitt. And maybe Georgia tech sneaks in there. Um, and I, I think that's fair for now.
0: What's the single most important thing for this team? I mean, you talk about the defense needing to be better, but I mean, if there was one singular thing that's going to make or break the season, what would it be? Would it be the pass defense? Yeah. I think that's the area that needs
2: to improve the most. And I don't even know if they necessarily need to be like amazing. They just need to be average. Um, we saw that in 2019. So like in 2019, they did really well in the beginning of the season with the past defense. And then Bryce Hall broke his leg in the Miami game. And then the back half of the season was a little bit more sketchy. Um, but they, they were able to get through it. You know, they weren't getting, you know, they weren't giving up like 40 points a game um, in the back half of the 2020 season. You know, it just, it was worse. It just, they just gave up too many big plays. They had to win a few shootouts that, um, you know, the offense basically had to push them through these games, and and that's not how they were winning for a long time under Bronco. And obviously the fans are excited, and, and I certainly agree that it's – you're starting to get an offense that can keep you in a game like that. Um, but you can't win every game like that. And, and they were lucky enough to do it against Boston College or North Carolina at home. But, you know, they go down to Blacksburg, and they were down 27 to 7.5 um, just because – that poor tackling, big plays, um, and and they were out of the game. So, like, eventually it's going to bite you. I think they need to improve in that area. Um, I, I think one of the things, and I'm sure this applies to most teams, like, I think COVID probably had an impact on the defense. Um, you're not hitting as much in practice with COVID, trying to keep everybody from being around each other all the time. And, and it just it, it seemed like there were some miscommunications and things that were – Uncharacteristic of of a Bronco defense, especially in the secondary. So I think that's the area that they probably need to improve the most.
1: I was going to say it caught me a little bit off guard to see a Bronco Mendenhall team with a defense that had the issues that they had last year. Uh, That's that's pretty not characteristic of him. If you go all the way back to his early days at BYU, even. So uh, curious to see if he can get that fixed. Justin, I'm curious to get your take a little more on Brennan Armstrong. I mean, he obviously had big shoes to fill last year coming in for Bryce Perkins, who was kind of the do everything guy at that quarterback spot for two years. Um, but I guess you know, it felt like he he's a he's a very mobile guy, as you mentioned. I mean, he he contributes quite a bit in the run game, um, and and I don't think he was he was bad by any means. I guess my well, the thing I thought was most interesting. I'm curious to get your take on this. I felt like Brennan Armstrong was kind of at his best when he was kind of in this like freewheeling like improv mode you know it, it seems like that's when he made the most you know most impact was when he was just kind of having to improvise do you get that same feeling and do you feel like that's a problem or is that okay
2: um I mean I think that it's okay as long as you know you're you still have to complete passes from the pocket and, and do all the things that any offense needs to do and I think he did well in that area sometimes and then sometimes I think he would hold the ball a little too long or like make a throw that would just be a head scratcher and you'd be like and it would be completely out of character because it'd be after five great throws um and you're like all right you know he probably just needs more time to to figure some of this stuff out and and maybe just like pull back a little bit on on some of the things he's doing but yeah certainly a player that can get out and make plays with his legs um get out of the pocket he's a little non-traditional obviously as a lefty so like you kind of have to get used to watching that, you know, rolling out to the left. And, and I think that kind of throws defenses off a little bit. Um, one thing that he kind of struggles with a little bit is throwing to his right, and he doesn't do it a lot. Um, and, you know, if you look at, like, the charts of where the balls are going, like, a lot of them go to the left side of the field. So that's an area that he's probably going to have to improve if he's going to, you know, beat some defenses that are going to catch on to stuff like that. Um, because if I'm noticing it, I'm sure they have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, his ability to run can kind of like open things up for everything else because just like Perkins, um, neither of those guys are like bona fide NFL quarterback arm talent players. Like they're not going to be throwing bombs like Sam Howell um, left and right. I mean, they can stretch the field a little bit, but I think the ability to keep the front seven honest with the ability to take off and run or do a design run, which we're, those are really successful plays for them last year. Were just these quarterback draws and sweeps and things. Um, I think that can, it keeps him viable in the 10 yards around the line of scrimmage. He's pretty good in the short game um, passing the ball. So I think he can improve. The big thing for him is going to be cutting down on those like WTF interceptions. Like he has one of those a game. It feels like, Mm -hmm. and um, he definitely needs to like pull back on that a little bit. He had 11 last year and I think he played eight games. So, Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he certainly has, I saw enough from him this year to feel confident that it's possible for him to take a, like to be better than he was. Um, I don't think like he's quite hit the ceiling of what he can do and and he he can definitely be a top half ACC quarterback at, at, at least.
0: I mean, I think there's a decent chance he already is. At least if we get the second half of the season version of him, I, I mean, Joey and I had this conversation a number of times. It felt like as the season went on. He just got better. Right. And I know he was banged up a bunch, um, but it seemed like as the year went on, he just got more and more comfortable in the offense to the point where he was starting to kind of become that quarterback that everybody was talking about. All, you know, I I was listening, you know, you get the Twitter people in your mentions, me, especially, because I'm a tech fan talking about how good Armstrong's going to be, how good Armstrong's going to be, how good Armstrong's going to be. Right. And then, the first, like, few games of the year, I'm like, I mean, yeah, he's, athlete, like, certainly athletic, and, you know, he's flashing here and there. Then the second half of the season, I'm like, okay, this kid can play a little bit. And it seemed like UVA's offense really started clicking, like Joey said, when we started freewheel a little bit. Yeah, it felt like he kind of found himself, too. I mean,
2: again, new sure. starter. He never Absolutely. really played that much. Um, yeah, I think, I think things kind of came into focus. And I think, honestly, like – Again, I don't want to blame COVID for everything, but like I think not having a spring probably was a little bit of a setback for him in the first half of the season, just because like that Definitely. would have been the first spring where he would have actually gotten to take the offense. Yep. Um, But I think eventually he kind of found himself, Um, you know, their offense was a little different with him and and, I, and they also had a tight end. That was like a viable pass catching threat, which was something that they hadn't really had when, when Perkins was around. Um. And that kind of changed like the way that their offense looked a little bit. Um, but I thought also not just Armstrong in the second half of the season, but the play calling and design was much better, which all sort of fits together. Right. So they started to get, you know, they brought in Keaton Thompson as another quarterback from Mississippi state. And for the first, you know, in, in camp, it was almost a competition. And then he got hurt. He hurt his shoulder. So he could still play, but he couldn't throw. So, and he did throw the ball a few times and you could kind of tell that he wasn't all there. Um, but when they started getting him mixed in with the running game, I think defenses had way too much to focus on in the backfield with a running quarterback and then maybe another running quarterback. And then they throw a lot of short passes and everything else. And, you know, it's it sort of made up for the fact that their traditional running game is pretty lackluster. Um, like like I said, their, their running backs didn't really do a whole lot last year or the year before. Um Wayne Talapapa led the team with 395 rushing yards. So a lot was on Brennan's plate, but yeah, it did feel like in the back half of the season, um, especially that North Carolina game really felt like a turning point where they were, I think they won in four and four and they won in a shootout. And that felt like kind of a turning point for him and the whole offense, really.
0: I want to get back to your Keaton Thompson point real quick. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, you know, leading up to the season, talking about UVA, talking about the coastal and previewing the year
1: basketball conference, be- especially
0: us especially yeah. yes um going back listening to old episodes going back yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah going back pat ourselves on the back that sort of thing um and everybody's been talking about thompson being kind of more than a quarterback he's turned into you know a receiver he's turned into a running back is that because he was hurt or is that like a legitimate thing now where it's like okay armstrong has secured himself he's the guy we got to get thompson on the field like is it more out of necessity because he's just another playmaker, or is it because, you know, he was injured last year? That's that's why, you know, he couldn't play quarterback anymore. Like which was it more of, I guess, initially? Um, and then I guess now it seems like he's more kinda of like that Swiss army knife roll. Seems Yeah, like. like a slash Cordell Stewart back yeah. in the day. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Well, yeah.
2: And I think, so I, I can't imagine that the coaching staff would be naive enough to have never thought of using him in some other way. Um, I think they really did bring him in as like, you know, this could be a, if, if Brandon doesn't work out, you know, we have another guy. I mean, Keaton was a top 100 player out of high school when he went to Mississippi state he kind of got caught up in a coaching change there when, when Dan Mullen left and he got stuck with, uh, Joe Moorhead's offense, which was just like not a fit for him. And, uh, Then he ended up at UVA, and I think he thought he really had a shot to come in and compete for the job, and he did, and then he got hurt. But I remember Robert and I, the offensive coordinator, saying at one point, like, you know, he's one of our best athletes. We're not going to, like, let him sit on the sideline and not play, you know, if if he's not the quarterback. And so, I mean, I give Keaton a lot of credit for this, like, buying in and being – you know, because a lot of guys, honestly, we thought, hey, maybe he might, like, transfer again because, like, he's not going to play quarterback. Um, but he went completely the other way and, you know, he bought in, he was a willing blocker, which is obviously really important in UVA system where they do a lot of quarterback running and stuff like that. Um, and he came in and, and I think I'm really interested to see what he can do this year. He's probably the most interesting player on the team to me this year, because I think he seemed like out of place at wide receiver. I mean, he played a little bit of wide receiver at Mississippi state at the very end of his career there, like one game. Um, and it felt like, you know, his routes weren't quite as polished as the, obviously the other guys he's playing with at receiver. Um, but they found ways to get him the ball. And when he got the ball, he did stuff with it. Like he was lining up in the backfield and running draws and they were used them in short yardage and goal line stuff a lot. Um, and I mean, he made some big plays in the second half of the season. Um, and I think that they're going to, I mean, they're going to depend on him to, to do something like that this year, I'm sure. And, and the way we've kind of understood it from the sort of limited access that we've had um, since the season is that he's basically a receiver now. Um, and, you know, they're going to figure out where, how they need to use him. And, you know, God forbid something happens to Brennan. Pro- he could probably play quarterback this year um, if they wanted him to. And I, he's a dynamic player with the ball in his hands. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm interested to see, like, how they use him. But I definitely think he's going to be used – Similar to how he was last year, but maybe they'll have a little bit more on his plate because he'll be more comfortable with the role that he'll have um, versus like, you know, getting that role in August and being told in September to go do it.
1: Justin, I'm I'm curious about the defense. You you know, you mentioned and we've talked a little bit about here so far, the number of big plays that were given up. and, And that was kind of an issue. And of course, that that comes down to the secondary uh, really, the back seven loses Charles Snowden, Zane Zandier, and then D'Angelo Amos. Um, so, I mean, those are some, some pretty big names, some guys, especially Snowden, who has accomplished a lot over the last few years on this defense. On the other hand, you bring in a couple of transfers, Josh Hayes from North Dakota State, Anthony Johnson from Louisville. Is that group, you know, are those, those additions, are those something that you see making a difference on the back end, or is it something that you see still kind of being a struggle this year?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that those guys are going to have to make a difference <laughs> um, or it is going to be the same. I think, um, you know, you bring back Nick Granite, cornerback and Devonte Cross, two guys that had finished their eligibility, basically, but got the free year and decided to come back. Um, and then Joey Blunt as well, which was a huge addition. Mm-hmm. And um, they do lose another guy. They lose Brenton Nelson, who we were trying to figure out who it was before we started recording and that's who it was. Um, but yeah, those three guys back, I mean, it is good to have that experience back, but, um, I mean, I'm going to be frank. Like I, I went back and watched the past defense issues from last year and, and those guys were involved in a lot of those plays. Um, and that's, again, it's not all on them. Some of that was like the quarterbacks had way too much time to throw or the receivers were very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the additions that they have at least make things more interesting. Um, Hayes was a very good player at North Dakota state. And, uh, it seems to me from like what his coach was saying that he, he saw Jabril Cox go from North Dakota state to LSU and play really well and get drafted. And he kind of thought, and he wanted to be closer to home. He's from Florida. Um, and I think he wanted a shot at like the power five level, see if he can make him, you know, name for himself there. And I, I'd assume he's going to have some role if healthy. Um, Bronco is big on like, I don't add people unless they can start, um, in the transfer portal. And to be honest with you, most of the guys he does add, especially the last few years after some misses early on, um, have been key players. They've been at least like in the rotation at their position playing. Um, I I think that Anthony Johnson comes over from Louisville. I think that's an interesting addition. Um, he participated in spring ball. I think he's in the mix. Um, but I also – I mean, like, Devontae Cross played cor- uh, corner, and he also played safety um, at a different – you know, before that. So I think he's probably a more natural safety, so they could slide one of those guys to corner um, opposite Grant. And and they're, they're just going to have to play better and then hopefully get a better pass rush from the front seven. And um, another thing to k- kind of keep in mind is that um, – You know, last year, they kind of leaned on a lot of veteran guys, but they do have some pretty talented young players in the secondary that just haven't played. Um, And I don't know at what point they would give them a shot. um, But, I mean, I remember thinking in the back half of last season, like, they need to get these guys out there. Because I didn't even know if Grant and Cross were going to come back. Right. Um, And so it's like, hey, you need to start kind of playing for next year. And um, There's one guy I really like, Elijah Gaines, who was a true freshman last year. Um, Long kid, he could play safety or corner. Um, he played in the tech game because somebody, I can't remember who it was, got hurt. And he looked pretty good um, in the second half of that game. And I, I think that guys like that, there's a few others, Donovan Johnson, his safety, Antonio Cleary, another safety. Those guys could get worked in if if the uh, veterans aren't getting it done. But I think the transfer additions should be a nice boost to what they have if, if, um, if they're struggling early on. I mean, the defense can't be as bad as last year, right? Mm-mm. I don't think so i I mean either i mean like and it's like you you look at it on paper and you're like all right they lose charles snowden which is a big loss for sure
0: sure yeah but
2: he didn't have the 20 like he wasn't as good in 2020 as he was before um he had a really slow start to the season and then had like two good games and then he got hurt um and hopefully he can bounce back uh he's with the bears now um from his injury but yeah like noah taylor at the edge spot um he, was, he came on really strong in the back half of 2019. Um, had some really good games. Looked good in the Orange Bowl. Um, had a huge interception in the Tech game. Um, and he, he's, he's like a converted DB. So he's really, really athletic on the edge. And and he didn't really have like a, a really big 2020 season either. So maybe 2021 he bounces back. Um, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Snowden spot. I mean, they're going to have to go, they have some young players who can step in and play. um, And they're going to have to replace a middle linebacker in Zandier as well. But Nick Jackson's probably the best player on the defense right now. Um, And I think that, you know, he's going to be an anchor in the middle and and hopefully they can just find enough edge rushing to um, get to the quarterback because they have pretty good creative blitz schemes. It's just they weren't able to sort of put it all together and get home last year.
1: One of the things I mentioned earlier, Justin, is that this this program is a lot more interesting to talk about in preview than it was seven, eight years ago when they were at a pretty low point. I agree. You know <laughs> the, the Al Gro years, the Mike London years. I, there might even be someone else in there that I was forgetting, but that was you know it was kind nope, of a struggle. That's it. <laughs> just those guys for too long. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious as to your thoughts. You know, you've seen Bronco Hall for several years here. Um, clearly he's elevated the program quite a bit. I'm curious as to your thoughts of like, what, what is a reasonable ceiling for this program under him? Is it, is it even higher than this, you know, kind of taking control of the coastal division? Is it just, you know, win the division every four or five years or what, what are your thoughts on what is a reasonable ceiling for if this program starts reaching peak efficiency under Bronco? Yeah.
2: I mean, this is some, this is like a classic UVA fan conversation, I think. Because really, I mean, they are one of, there's many programs like this and, and there's a bunch in the ACC where it's like, they don't have a tradition of being very good, but there's not really a reason why they shouldn't be good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not like you can point to it and be like, oh, they're in like Pullman, Washington. Like, how are they ever going to get players? Um, you know, like th- that stuff doesn't really exist for them. Like, it's just about, you know, investment and all that stuff. And obviously Bronco He came in and I think one of the things he did really well was he sort of, I mean, BYU, they, they put a ton of resources into football and he was able to come in and say like, Hey, this is what I don't have. Like, this is what we should have that we don't have. Um, Whereas like, you know, Mike London coming from Richmond, like he'd never been a head coach at the, you know, power five level or even the FBS level. Like, I don't think he really understood how much he didn't have. Um, I think that. I don't think they're like at the ceiling necessarily. I think obviously like they could do better because you look at teams like Baylor or um, Northwestern, um, Stanford even. I mean, that's not exactly a, you know, apples to apples comparison, but those teams have gone to, you know, big bowl games and won their conferences and done all kinds of stuff. Won double digit games. I think UVA could do that if things go exactly the way that they need to go, which is usually like finding a good quarterback and having like a veteran team and, you know, really developing players over time, which is their emphasis right now. It's just like, you know, I I think the fans are getting a little frustrated with recruiting because they're like, we're not capitalizing on the wins that we had a few years ago and turning that into better recruits. And I think that there's some truth to that, but I also think, they're always going to put an emphasis on player development and keeping players out of the transfer portal um, and and then picking the right transfers and bringing guys in.
0: Not capitalizing on winning teams is like yeah. the M.O. of Virginia Tech under Beamer and Fonte. <laughs> so I think I think there's some that.
2: I think there's some comparisons there. I mean, obviously, Tech has done it over a longer period of time but I think that that's sort of the frustration that tech fans probably have too. Right. It's like, all right, like we went to the sugar bowl or the orange bowl. Like when is this going to, when are we going to like get to the level where we're always here? Um, and for UVA fans, I wouldn't say their sights are that high. Um, if they're being realistic, I think the ceiling, if you look at like over the course of a decade, which is sort of how I look at it would just be like, you're in a bowl game pretty much every year, maybe with like one or two exceptions, if something goes really wrong. Um, and you know you're you're winning like seven eight games. Um, you're beating Tech every once in a while at least, <laughs> not like once every sixteen years. Um, and you know you're competitive in the division. You win the division every once in a while. I think with Clemson where they are, I don't think winning the ACC is like a really realistic goal, um, unless you just get like a fluky win in that conference title game. Um, but yeah, I think I think what you've seen from UV over the last like three or four years shows that they can, they can play at the level that fans will find acceptable going to bowl games, Um, being more interesting to watch. I think that's another thing, but yeah, I think the ceiling is probably a little higher than where they are um, with this coaching staff, but I don't think it's like, I don't think they're like well short of where they should be. I think, I mean, you look at what they did in 2019, they won the coastal, they beat tech, they go to the orange bowl. Like that's probably, I mean, UVA doesn't have a lot of seasons in their history that are better than that. So like historically that is kind of where the ceiling is. So um, I think they can do a little better than that in theory, but I think, you know, if, if they're going to bowl games and somewhere between six and nine wins, I think that's about right for this program right now, considering like where their facilities are and all that other stuff.
0: Is it more of like an investment thing from the university on like the money side? Cause like Virginia tech was battling that for a while. I mean, I I felt like, you know, they didn't capitalize on that part of it in the Beamer years. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if that's kind of the way it is with UVA as well.
2: Yeah. I I mean, obviously I'm pretty familiar with the tech program being in the state. Um, and I think that they have, there are some parallels there. Um, for sure. Like, I mean, I know that tech had the same issues of like getting the indoor facility built that UVA did eight years ago or whatever it was. And they kind of built them at the same time. Um, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily like the university isn't bought in. It's more like the fundraising isn't there. Um, right now they are fundraising for their like big capital projects, which is a new football facility. Um, and it's, it's costly. And I, you know, they're raising some money, but I don't think they're where they need to be. And obviously COVID happened at like the worst possible time for that. So like, I think that there needs to be more buy-in, but um that's almost like a bigger picture issue than football, if that makes sense. Like, I think that's, you're getting into like, what are the motivations of people that have money? Um, and like, where do they want to spend it and all that stuff? Um, cause like, obviously like it, the, the success of the programs is different, but like basketball isn't hurting for resources and they're across the street, you know, and their resources aren't as expensive, but like they get what they need. Um, right. football isn't quite there yet. um, and I think those resources, like, especially the, like one of the things that they really wanted was grass pr- practice fields, which a lot of power five teams would be like, you don't have grass practice fields, but they didn't for a long time. I mean, they would have to practice at the football stadium or whatever. Um, but what they did was they demolished the old basketball arena and they built pr- grass practice fields. And so they have that now. So that's one step closer to where they want to be. But the, you know, like the facilities, they're not able to keep up with some of the schools that would be in the same recruit range. I mean, like, even if you talk about the academic schools, like they lost a a recruit battle with Northwestern and Stanford recently. He went to Stanford offensive lineman from Tennessee. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the facilities at those two schools, it's like not in the same league as where UVA is right now. And and they probably do need to step it up to kind of be competitive long term. But I think they're doing a pretty good job of selling the vision for the program to the players that really want to be there right now. and, And they're doing okay.
1: I think the national recruiting has been interesting to watch under Bronco as well. It, it they have stretched pretty far beyond just that, that DMV area and mm-hmm. in the East coast. And that's, that's something I kind of didn't think would work, but it, it has been in a pretty good way for them so far. So that's, that's been kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: I'd say, I'd say fans would probably say the, the DMV area is where they're doing the worst.
1: <laughs> like, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. cause like the in-state yeah, recruiting has been, has been tough. Um, And I, yeah, again, like you said, I don't think that's necessarily like a UVA thing. That's like the dynamics of in-state recruiting has changed a lot here. Um, Honestly, like I don't want to like give too much credit to one school, but I think North Carolina is like kind of coming into their territory and taking a bunch of players right now. Um, Yeah. I mean, their staff is sort of, I wouldn't say they've like really struggled because they've gotten some good in-state players, but there, you know, you used to be able to pull up like the top 25 players in the state. And it would be like a few guys going to the Ohio States, Florida's Penn State of the world. And then it'd be a bunch of guys going to tech and then there'd be some going to UVA. And now it's like, you know, your best player in state might be like the 20th best player in the state. Um, you know, and, and that, that's just not. Yeah, you can go into other players and uh, other areas and get players, but it works a lot better when you can kind of rely on like relationships with coaches and schools in your backyard.
1: Yep. Yep. Let's take a look at the schedule for this fall, Justin. And you mentioned earlier, it is, it is kind of a tough schedule at first glance. You know, you've got th- the out-of-conference is William & Mary, Illinois, at BYU and Notre Dame. And yes, BYU and Notre Dame, technically independent. But I think from a, a quality of play perspective, we could probably just go ahead and call them like Power 5-level teams. I
2: mean they're certainly not any worse than what they'll see in the coastal. That, <laughs> you know? Very
1: true. That is true. Yeah. Very true. Valid point.
2: Both well BYU BYU would probably be like a I don't know, like a middle of the road at best coastal team.
1: Step
0: back. Yeah, they'll they'll yeah, be taking a step
2: yeah, back. I don't think I don't think they'll be as good this year, but I no. mean they're not bad. No.
1: Well, and that was my thought was that at at first glance you've got three out of the four out of conference games or are, are fairly high level teams, and yet again, William and Mary, that should be a layup. Illinois under a new head coach and Brett Bielema that
2: I I'd, they should be able to win that game at
1: home, you know, yeah. no, you know, no less and at 11am <laughs> and then BYU with all the turnover. I mean, in real, in reality, in a way, if you look at it, they really probably should go three and one in that out of conference stretch.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think that you always want to be three and one in a non-conference. I mean, That's just how you set yourself up for success. And that was one of the issues they had with the previous coaching staff. And this wasn't the coach's fault, but they scheduled like ridiculously hard out of conference games in the same year. They play like BYU and Oregon in the same year, you know, something like, like something that was unnecessarily hard. Um, And they've been better about that recently this year. They kind of got screwed if I'm being honest, because they don't have any control over when Notre Dame is on the schedule. And Bronco tried to get out of the BYU game, and they refused, <laughs> which will be which will be interesting when he goes out there. Um, no doubt about and, it. Yeah, and, and and that obviously will be a pretty fun game because I've, like not just him going back, but like almost every coach on their staff either went there or coached there. So that'll be interesting. Um, Illinois, I'm not super worried about. If I'm them, I mean, like, I'm not saying you just like, don't show up for that game at all, but it's at home. Illinois will be on game two of the Brett Bielema era. Um, I don't think they're going to be like horrendous or anything, but UVA should be able to win that game at home. Um, but yeah, the Notre Dame game too, I think is interesting because um, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be like bad by any stretch, but I don't think they're going to be like a playoff contender this year unless I'm missing something. you um, not. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll be the solidly top twenty five, I guess, but like yeah. not not like, you know, unbeatable. And UVA has actually played pretty well against them in their since they started this ACC scheduling thing. You remember obviously the meme guy hanging over the wall. That was <laughs> that was when they lost in like the last play of the game, basically, to Notre Dame. And yeah, then Deshaun and then they,
0: Kaiser came out of nowhere. hit Will Fuller
2: really. for the touchdown.
1: Yeah. That was really, a crazy game. Really broke Mike's heart with that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm
2: sure he did. Um, but yeah, there's that one. And then they went to South Bend a couple of years ago and we're winning at halftime. Um, and, and ultimately the offensive line kind of just fell apart, but that'll be an interesting game. I don't think it's completely unwinnable. Um, comes at an interesting time in the schedule too, cause it's off of a buy um, and it's in November, which is sort of strange. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that that'll be interesting, but you know, we were talking about it before the show. Their road schedule is, I think, what has stuck out to me. Um, they've been, I think, if I remember correctly, I don't have it written down, but they're like seventeen and two or something in the last three years at home. Um, and the road record is not seventeen and two. <laughs> I don't. It's not like the worst record ever, but it's not good. Um, last year, I think they only won like one game on the road or something. Um, but. Yeah, I think that that's going to be like how they perform on the road because I think at home they're going to do okay. Um, you know, they get Illinois, William and Mary at home, Duke and Georgia Tech at home, back to back. Notre Dame, like I said, and then you end with Virginia Tech. But the road, I mean, at North Carolina, at Miami, at Louisville, at uh, at BYU, at Pitt. Um, yeah. There's not a game on there where I'm like, that's a win. <laughs> like, right. But, um, and, and none of those games are like. Automatic losses just because, like, I don't think North Carolina is an automatic loss because UVA is beating them like five times in a row. Um, yeah, and I think there's something to be said for that. Um, Miami will be tough, and then obviously, like, pits always like a weird game. Like, I don't like on the that. road, Hines Fields, like, a really weird place to go. Yep. Um, I, yeah, so I don't think, I don't think, I mean, they could, I don't think they will go in five on the road, but they could. And then you're basically, like, back against the wall to get to a bowl by, you know, winning all your home games. Um, so I think they need – if they can get, like, two road wins out of this, then I think that they could – you talk about, like, eight wins or more. Like, I think that's how you get there.
0: It is the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame game interesting, Joey. I was going to say real quick, Wednesday, Wednesday, November 10th, we'll probably do, be doing some sort of preview. Remind me to take UVA to cover.
2: <laughs> yeah, put in your notes. Yep. I, I don't know. I get a weird feeling about that game. I mean, obviously there's no way to know we're so far from that game. Right, I mean, who knows? Right. UVA could be nine and zero going into that game or zero and nine, you know, but um, I wouldn't be totally shocked if that one's like close. Um, I wouldn't either. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think UVA, the one thing I will say, even like last year when they went five and five, um, they had a few like head scratchers, but then there's like the games they, they would play. Like they went to Miami, Miami looked really good and they lost like, I think it was like eighteen to fourteen or something. Like it was like a really close game that they definitely could have won. Right. Um and they just couldn't score points. Um and, and then other games, you know, they look great. So it's 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 week to week, but I mean I think if they can continue to be good at home and like take care of the games that they should take care of, then um they'll a bowl is like obviously like the floor, I think, at that point. And then you get you could maybe I wouldn't be like, I was telling somebody this the other day, like, and I think tech and, you know, we keep talking about UVA and tech um, can't separate them, I guess. Um But like, I think that like either of those teams, I wouldn't be surprised if they like comp- competed for the coastal. I mean, I think Miami and North Carolina are the favorites for sure, but I wouldn't be like shocked if one of those teams is like in the mix at the end of the season or both of them, maybe.
1: Justin, record-wise, as you look at this schedule, you know what the program is coming into the fall. Do you have a, a prediction for us for for what the record ends up as?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to go through and like pick every game, but I, I feel like seven and five is about right. Um, you know, I think they have some winnable games. I think I don't think they're going. I don't want to say like they're going to come in and like surprise a bunch of people because I don't think people think they're going to be terrible or anything. But I, I think they could. I don't know what their over/under for wins is, but I, I could see them going over. Um, I think it's probably like, if I had to guess, it's probably like six or seven.
1: Six um, is correct. Nice.
2: Yeah. See, in Virginia, we can't bet on the in-state college teams. Not that yeah, I would ever can. want to. Right. But yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't look it up. Um, that's probably actually saved me money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that you know that's about right. I think health, obviously, like with any team that you guys are previewing, is going to be big. After Brendan Armstrong, there's not like a clear backup quarterback. Like I said, Keith Thompson could come in and play, but he's never played a UVA quarterback. You know, his backup would be a a freshman who played a few games last year.
0: Another parallel.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, like, that could get a little dicey. Um, If the defense doesn't improve at all, I mean, they're going to have to win a bunch of shootouts, which I think maybe they could do this year. Um, I really, I think, I think seven and five is about right um, for this team. And really, I mean, if you define success, it'll come down to like which seven games you win. Because um, if you win seven and you beat North Carolina in tech, then fans are going to be like, great season. Let's right. go to the bowl game. If you right. go seven and five and lose to tech and, um, you know, you basically just like beat the bad teams and lost everybody that's good, people are going to be like, all right, like what's going on here? Like, what are we
1: doing? So, Mike, I think I'm agree. I agree. I've got them at seven yeah. and five. I got them like four and four in conference.
0: Yeah, that's. That's where I'm at, too. My, my whole th- My whole thing is, like, Brennan Armstrong, I think, is too good for them to be any worse and bowl eligible. So, I, yeah. in my opinion, like, he would have to get hurt, and I just think the defense is going to be better. Like, I think yeah. the defense is going to be better. Um, Armstrong, I think, moves the needle enough at quarterback, similar to how Bryce Perkins did, where it's like, all right, even if we don't have, like, a really reliable run game, like will manufacture yards on the ground. And, I and think that's, he's that, that's how that they, they won the Coastal. I mean, exactly. that's how they won the
2: Coastal in 2019. It was like, all right. They kind of got out of their own way. Like, the first half of that season, Bryce banged himself up in camp, and they right. were like, all right, let's not do too much with him. And then they were like, we have no choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, we have to just give him the ball 50 times a game and let him do what he And then they they started winning.
0: Wasn't wasn't <laughs> Wayne Tolapapa averaging, like, 2.9 yards per carry or something yeah. ridiculous? Like,
2: yeah, so, like he's an interesting player because he he's like um, I I guarantee you there's a player like this on every roster, you know, nothing against him obviously, but you watch the games and you're like, he does all the little things that makes coaches want to play him, you know, like he blocks. Well, he does everything he needs to do when he first got to you, he was playing special teams. Um, You know, he, he's always in the right place, but he doesn't have that like dynamic ability. Like he's not going to, break a 50 yard run and he's not going to like change the game with how he plays. Right. And then you have some guys behind him, especially this year. Um, They have Hollins coming back from opting out and he, he was a pretty good player in high school in Louisiana. So there's some potential there. Um, And then they have a guy from Harvard um, Devin Darrington, who's a grad transfer. He could end up being pretty good. Um, And so I feel like if you start to kind of lean on those guys a little bit more, maybe you get a little bit more pop with maybe a little bit more like inconsistency in the blocking area or whatever. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of coaches, like they just, they like guys that are dependable and that's why he plays so much. He's really good around the goal line. um, But other than that, like he's just kind of serviceable, you know, Um, doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield either, which is kind of a downer, but that's safe. when the coaching staff has had to get creative with like putting Thompson in the backfield and like Billy Kemp and all these
1: different things they can do. You talked about how good he was in short yardage. He had like two hundred and fifty yards and fourteen touchdowns two years ago or something like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, because when they got to the one or the two yard line, he scored every
0: time he got the ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justin, one more one more quick thing. UVA is like something ridiculous at home the last three years, right? Are they like seventeen and three or something like that? Seventeen yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I think their losses, um they had like a really Dumb lost a pit in like a pouring rainstorm. Um, that was like two years ago. And then th- they lost at home to NC state last year. That was the game where Armstrong got hurt. Um, but the year in between those two, I think they went seven and zero or whatever at home. Um, yeah. So they've been, they've been very good at home lately. And I don't know, like with the pandemic, it's hard to say whether that really means anything because there's nobody there. Um, right. You know, and as you know, like in Virginia, it was pretty strict with like they, nobody was like allowed to be there basically. Right. Um, so I can't be like, aha, it must be the crazy home field advantage of Scott Stadium. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think there's something to be said for like comfortability um, and, and not having to go on the road and travel and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they've been pretty good. And obviously this isn't a UVA thing, but like your home stats should be kind of skewed towards positive because that's where you play all your like non-conference games against bad teams. Right. So like you should be winning those games.
1: Yep. Yep. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else for Justin while we got him?
0: Don't think so. UVA will be fine.
1: Oh yeah. They'll be all right. (laughs)
0: They'll be fine.
1: Virginia Tech (laughs) is a topic for another podcast though.
0: They'll be fine also, Joey.
1: I feel like every single one of these previews we're doing, I'm dropping little nuggets about how much yeah. I'm ready to just like take a dump on Virginia Tech and yeah,
0: <laughs> Ch- Joey, Joey's gonna have Tech being like three and nine or something. <laughs> yeah, see, I kind of
2: like it though because you get, you get the uh, like the North Carolina game right out of the gate, so it's just like, all right, I don't have to wait and see if they're good or not. Like I'm just gonna know.
0: Like, yeah, it's winnable. Yeah, it's winnable for sure.
2: I just I don't something about them. Maybe it's the fact that it's North Carolina and not like clemson or somebody else but i just i don't know if i'm quite there with them
0: it's like i'm not either i'm definitely just, not
2: well you watch them play one week and you're like oh okay like i get it and then the next week it's like they just seem like they don't care it's like all right whatever like they're just yeah. completely out like that game they played Florida at uva State. yeah that yeah exactly <laughs> it was a few weeks after that game but the week before they played uva they just destroyed somebody i forget who it was and then they came to charlottesville and uva was up like 24 on them like it was like and uva was one in four yeah, um, it makes like, sense. the hell, and it didn't even seem that wrong. I was like, yeah, maybe the North Carolina is not that good. <laughs> um, but then you look at like the players on their team, and you're like, all right, well they should be good. Um, yeah.
1: I think I think I'm my love for North Carolina is probably partially informed by my deep set emotional desire for Miami to not actually be that good. Mm-hmm. So so if, if North, North Carolina North Carolina is then, just the challenger, yeah, the exactly. enemy of your enemy is your friend or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Well, Justin, yeah. this, is, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much, as always, for, for joining us. This has been very informative. Um, you know, Obviously, you're very knowledgeable and, and have a lot going on here with this program. So thank you so much. Do you want to take a quick moment and tell people where they can go find your stuff?
2: Yeah, uh, calvescorner.com. Um If you're a UVA fan. If you're not a UVA fan, you probably don't want to go there. Um, we actually just switched our managing editor. and And the guy that is taking over is going to do a bunch of really awesome work. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and I am on Twitter at Justin underscore Ferber.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. You know, we'll we'll have to have you on sometime again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Justin. All right, Mike, that was Justin Ferber. Uh, once again, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter or go find him at CavsCorner.com. Uh, specifically, if you're a Virginia fan, otherwise it may not go as great for you. <laughs> We got to get out of here. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get out of here. We got more teams. So we got to come back and preview. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRSJoey. He is at Mike McDaniel, SOS, together at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, he's at Justin underscore Ferber, F E R B E R, on Twitter. Go check him out. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere you can find your podcast. Please go find us there. Hit that subscribe button, follow, do all those things that the YouTubers tell you to do. Please do those things. Yeah. Uh, send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. It. Thank you. Thank you. And those who do will get their questions featured on the show as we had a couple of listeners earlier. So you see how that works. Go ahead. and Yep. Do it. Mike, you want to tell me where else they can find us on the social medias?
0: Facebook. Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference Rate Review. Find all your podcasts there. Check us out on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Check
1: that out. Please do. Please do. Ramping it up in both of those places now with the season coming coming our way. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else?
0: We are halfway through our previous.
1: Almost. I think we got one more we'll, we'll be halfway. Yeah,
0: recording-wise, we're, yeah. we're, we're getting there. Yeah.
1: It's still the summer. We're not really counting yet, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I do it for a job, but. It's not going well so
1: whatever well i don't know there's a joke there i'm just tired anyways uh mike it's been fun appreciate it we will talk again soon yes sir all right for mr mike mcdaniel and mr justin ferber i am joey weaver thank you guys so much for listening we'll talk to you again soon and until then go acc